0: Welcome to the Simpleton Podcast, the podcast that you 90% agree with. Today we're going to start with Waraheman, following up with ideas about how love is horrible. Transitioning to that into why St. Valentine's Day is canceled. And we'll talk about the rise and fall of American cities, crime waves, kind of give some big picture data on that. We'll we'll follow that with how to stay safe when you are visiting the inner city. And then we have some meta. Political ideas for those political economists out there or poli sci people. We're going to ask for some feedback on some ideas. How are you doing, Laura Heeman?
1: Doing well, Clark Massey.
0: I believe that was the best introduction we've ever done. No. I got the yes. whole like schedule out there and we are ready to Boom. go. All right. So let's tell us how horrible love is.
1: I love it so horrible. So, so we've been kind of talking about this idea for the last few days in our house, trying to nail down this idea a little bit. (laughs) Um, And I remembered the story and it's not my story. And it's kind of like I'm three degrees removed from it. So I don't even know the person this happened to. So uh, someone I knew once told me this story that their little sister, when uh, she was in high school, was like sneaking alcohol at a wedding. And kind of gets hammered during this wedding reception and to the point that she's feeling sick and she can't walk straight or whatever. And it's very embarrassing. And her father sits down, you know, at one of the tables and uh, just holds her a high school girl for the rest of the wedding, like so lovingly, so gently, all of that. And it like, killed her like it was too much for her to bear how terrible (laughs) this was like it was humiliating and it was so kind and it was so loving and she didn't drink underage after that like for the rest of her underage years and I thought that was a good um it, it was like so sweet and loving of the father and it was yet at the same time like humiliating and
0: horrible. I love that. And so Mm -hmm. we all need to model that as parents. Yeah. Make your kids very uncomfortable with the purity (laughs) of your love. (laughs) That will call them to greater things. Mm -hmm. Um, Or make them run from you and hide in the bushes like we do from God. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, related to this, there is a holiday of love, mostly thought of as erotic love. One of the most hijacked of Catholic ideas, uh, St. Valentine's day. And I've heard this for a long time that St. Valentine's day got canceled. um, Probably let's see about 50 years ago, half a century ago. And this is what I dug up. It kind of confirms what I already thought, but here we go. Here's the reason though. The memorial of St. Valentine is ancient. It is left a particular calendar since apart from his name, Nothing is known of St. Valentine except that he was buried in Via Flaminia on February 14th. Therefore, as he remains with the Roman Martyology, he may reco- be he may be recognized optionally during mass outside of Christmas tide and Eastertide. So he went from an official Roman holiday to off of it. But I found this interesting, too. The Lutheran Church and Anglican Church still have it as an official feast day. Mm now, the reason why he's doubly canceled now, you know, not not here, just give you 50 year old news. In case you haven't noticed, St. Valentine's Day is on Ash Wednesday this year. So you don't have to do anything. Husbands out there, you are cleared of all <laughs> Valentine's Day responsibilities. <laughs> um, anything to add to that, Laura?
1: No. OK. Yeah. That's
0: also the start day of Simple House Retreat this year, which, you know, hard to do Valentine's yeah. Day when you're going on a retreat.
1: Yeah, I, well, I didn't expect that um, Lent was going to start quite so early because that's the first day of our Caribbean <laughs> vacation. <laughs> no, we're going to Puerto Rico uh, for my grandmother's birthday. You're kind of
0: doing an anti retreat? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm doing an <laughs> anti retreat. Can one really do a retreat in Puerto Rico? Uh,
0: I'm not jealous. Yeah, so, huh? I'm not jealous. I know you're. You not, should be but jealous. Normal people are um. right. Normal people, yeah, <laughs> the heathens out there. All right, all right. Let's talk about. Um, you know, we talked about a tragedy last episode about a young man who got killed while doing mission work in D.C. Um, it's kind of overdue that we talk about what's going on with American cities and crime, and then we. It's also we can talk about what we. Uh, tell The simple missionaries to help them, they basically in DC and in KC, they live in the worst parts of town, you know. Yeah, and um,
1: this this uh young man was like not in the worst part of town when no. he was killed, and he was not like in ministry at that particular moment,
0: right? To, yeah, but the whole story is last episode. Go listen yeah. to that. He's basically mm-hmm. in the neighborhood just east of CUA, yeah. Um, so. One thing to kind of know that I feel like we do not teach in schools, and it's something that I feel like I have to teach every time we have a spring break group come, is like, like if you show up at a simple house, um, particularly the Kansas City location, because Kansas City didn't regentrify as hard as D.C. did, uh, you're seeing an abandoned neighborhood, you know? Yeah. And it's an abandoned neighborhood in a metroplex that has grown economically and population wise. So it's not like people left the city. Well, I mean, people did leave that neighborhood, but like as a as a metro area, it's a very healthy metro area, yet there's still whole neighborhoods that in a sense were thrown away. Yeah. And if you think of just the waste, how those neighborhoods had, you know, enormous sewer systems, power systems, you know, traffic systems. That were built for a very high population level and now we've just kind of like, you know, just said, oh, we'll just build new ones. We'll just go out further and just build yeah. whole new neighborhoods, whole new infrastructures, you know. So this is like an incredible environmental waste and it's like a mystery that we kind of don't talk about enough, right? Like, why did it happen? Let's not let it happen again, et cetera
1: just it's also interesting because you know we talk about a national housing shortage
0: <laughs> yeah right yeah um so the story is kind of like in the tumultuous period where we saw the assassination of JFK and then the assassination of RFK and the assassination of Martin Luther King that period was followed by chaos in cities You know, there were riots in all the major cities, particularly after Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. These riots were not one day. They were weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. National Guards were called in to calm them down. Like if you thought there was going to be a race war, there was. That's what those riots were, basically. Um, People just upset. Rule of law was destroyed during that period. Um, And then after that, there was also the school systems were drastically changed and integrated, Mm -hmm. which weirdly enough, both destroyed not just some uh, predominantly white schools and made them into worse schools. It actually destroyed the elite black schools, and that's like an undertold story. So that happened, and you can make a case why maybe there was something good in that, like uh, the reforms America went through. You can make the case for that. That case is often made, whatever. But the step back of American cities, the people not wanting to live there, If you want to see an example of this, go uh, watch Taxi Driver about New York City. You will not if you've lived been in New York City in the last 20 years, you won't recognize the New York City of Taxi Driver. You know, it's from that dark period where everyone was just trying to get out of the city. Right. Yeah. Um,
1: Sorry. I just want to say just because it sounded like you were (laughs) um, saying integration was bad. There were like unintended consequences that people didn't foresee.
0: That's true. And I have had older black people speak badly about integration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and the things they're lamenting are there used to be like in all these major cities, there was a black downtown with black owned businesses. Mm -hmm. And um, those inner cities were destroyed. Those Mm -hmm. black downtowns were destroyed by integration. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know, and that's a fact that's not you can think it's okay and that's fine. But like, it is a fact that they, that's why they were destroyed. And it, the the thing that happened was people who, who could leave left. Yeah. And then you start this culture of kind of the inner city left behind culture. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we're seeing that now. It's not a black problem, but you know, I don't like using racial terms to describe problems. But like, if you look at rural America, there's that same problem happening there right now. It's a left mm-hmm. behind problem. Those people who could leave left, you know, yeah. and it's left a different type of poverty behind. Yeah. Um, So there's this kind of downfall of the American cities. They have very bad reputations. Uh, Violence is very high. You can see it in the crime stats and things. And then there's also the crack wave that hits sometime in the late 80s. Um, And that is a very like real thing to the people we meet in the inner city. Mm -hmm. Like the older people, they remember when that happened and they characterize it as like, and that's when people started like throwing babies out of windows you know, that's yeah. thing I've often heard, you know, it's just like things just didn't make sense anymore. People were doing crimes that made no sense. Yeah. Um, and that would be like right before the nineties. Right. Mm-hmm. So then sometime in the nineties, the energy changed, there started to be this reverse flow of energy to start rebuilding the cities, you know, and we're sometimes called this gentrification or more properly like re gentrification of cities. Um, D.C., New York, uh, San Francisco got this tons. Uh, Places like Detroit maybe didn't see very much of it, but there's a lot of places in between a Detroit and a D.C., you know, like places that got. I mean,
1: even Detroit eventually got.
0: (laughs) Well, I think Detroit has lost so much population. um, There's just not even enough people to fill the houses. So they're going to have an enormous, you know, abandoned housing problem in Detroit. Like, I remember one of the things I was talked about with regentrifying Detroit was like, what if we have urban farming? And it wasn't like gardening plots. It was like, what if we have yeah. acres and acres of urban farming? Yeah, which you is know?
1: wild to think about.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Um, I don't kind of consider that regentrification the same way Manhattan got hit, yeah, you know, yeah. to or where it just you or, couldn't live in Manhattan anymore yeah. unless you made like 250 K a year, you know. So, no, so more. Yeah. <laughs> that starts in like the mid 90s, you know, mm-hmm. Um And when you see what's happened with American cities recently, you're seeing them going back down a bad path, right? And Mm -hmm. I think the number one indicator of this is the homicide rate. And if you look at the national homicide rate, it went down, 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 down all the way to 2019, basically. And then at 2020, it spikes back up. And now we're kind of back in the mid 90s. Yeah, homicide rate. So yeah. the 90s have kind of had a moment where everyone is reminiscing of how great the 90s were. So if you're okay with that level of inner city violence, that's what we got now. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's a couple of stories about how I saw, you know, the inner city get better in the time that Simple House existed that, um, you know, kind of illustrate this example of like how things from the 90s to the mid-teens got a lot better. Mm-hmm. One example is that I used to say, "Hey, Simple House is an inner city ministry or mission." And when I would say that back in three, it was like, "Oh wow, you guys go into dangerous places to serve the poor." Yeah Anacostia, the neighborhood where we put our you know ministry was synonymous as basically a bad word, and people would say, "Oh, I once went to Anacostia. um yeah. I got off the wrong exit ramp." And I immediately got back on the highway as fast as I could because I was really scared. Yeah. You know, that was like the normal take. Right. And now I I know.
1: I mean, I remember driving around and being like, that person doesn't look like they belong down here. Are they okay?"
0: (laughs) Right. I was once giving the missionaries a charity a ride and we saw like a white person walking in Anacostia and they started saying a rosary for that person immediately. Wow. We also yeah. had a friend who was an elementary school teacher down in Southeast, and uh, she missed the bus, and she started walking to the next bus stop, and all of a sudden, a bus careened across traffic to pick her up. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of the vibe, right? But yeah. now, like as as a decade passed, I no longer would call it like an inner city mission because to young people, that doesn't mean poverty. Yeah. You know, because inner cities have become quite nice, right? Yeah. And desirable to live in. And when you'd say Anacostia, you'd just as likely get someone comment, oh, I heard that place is really growing. Almost like they want to ask you about investing money. Right. You mm-hmm. know, so they're, they weren't that familiar with it, but like the whole attitude towards the neighborhood was changing. Yeah. You know, and now things are starting to reverse. Right. And I think you're going to see. Multiple things happen. And we're already seeing this happen nationwide because it's this is once again, I don't know why this is a nationwide problem. Um, D.C. seems to have it worse than most places. But like, I don't know why as a nation these trends happen, but they do. Yeah. So what you're seeing is um, less sit down restaurants. You're seeing things like stores, like grocery stores and even CVS type stores close, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, due to shoplifting issues and security issues. I think that eventually we're going to see a lot more kind of like gated shopping, like membership only type places like Costco. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be to kind of keep out bad stuff, you know? Yeah. And that's where people are going to start gravitating towards. So that has already been happening. And the big spike, the turning point is 2020. Like just, I like using the homicide rate because, uh, A lot of crime in depressed areas does not get recorded, but homicides do. So um, like house break-ins, there's a lot of house break-ins that happen that no police reports filed on because it gets futile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is in the last year, 2023, we're still at like, quote, 90s levels. I'm quoting myself, I guess, (laughs) of crime. But we did see violent crime go down. Homicides go down nationwide in 2023 except in Washington, D.C., where, in fact, they keep yeah. going up, Yeah, you know. And if you compare homicides, you know, to pre-2020, it's gone up 100%. Yeah. You know, it's doubled. Mm-hmm. And carjackings has gone way up, you know, like 300% up. Yep. And I think that is partly to do with technology. The cars are harder to steal, so you have to, like, pull people out of them.
1: I, that's an interesting take, yeah. When we started a simple house, like, stolen cars were a thing. Everyone had to <laughs> use the club. Um we had cars stolen, um, for joy riding. Right. Um, yeah, that's, and, this
0: is kind of like a theme we're going to develop. Crime yeah. is often not economically motivated. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they, you steal a car until you run out of gas. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're joy riding in these cars.
1: Right. And I think that was like in the early days, um, something we saw as like, a, a symptom of the spiritual poverty or an indicator of the spiritual poverty. Um, that we were seeing in D.C. is that there were a lot of like senseless crimes like.
0: <laughs> yeah. And we'll talk about that a minute. Also, when we talk about how to protect yourself from crime, because mm-hmm. you need to get out of this mindset that the crime is about economics. Right. You know, Um. so knowing that 2020 is a turning point, you you have to wonder, like, what's the cause? Mm-hmm. Right. And I have like three causes and I don't know what deserves more weight and what doesn't. But there there really was an enormous demoralization of police forces in 2020 to -hmm. where it's hard for them to hire. A lot of guys retire early inner city police forces were the hardest hit. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was no meaningful police reform that came out of the black lives matter movement. Yeah. You know, the the best thing I've seen is more um, body cams, Mm -hmm. you know, but overall it seems to have been a negative. Right. And I think also allowing the rioting was, a negative
1: yes yeah i i think another cause uh i mean i i would tie the COVID lockdowns as well and i the reason i say this is because at least like in dc it's like weather gets good in the spring and everyone's out and there's a spike in crime like that's been like a thing for many years like as soon as you know the weather is good (laughs) and people have nothing better to do, you know. Um, and
0: and you shut down a bunch of high schools. You yeah, put those so, kids so out back had, in the it, community. It was kind
1: of like we shut down heading into the weather being good, but people don't have schools to go to. They don't have jobs to go to. They don't have, there was like sort of a sense of timelessness or something because you don't like those usually our marking time in your life are just like, poof, you know, gone. It it
0: feels like the inner city school systems have not recovered from having a year off, you Mm -mm.
1: know? Well, it was more I mean, yeah, it was more than a year, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Well, Andrew Yang also had this like idea. He was floating around universal basic income, Mm -hmm. right? And 2020 was like a weird experiment in universal basic income. Like the amount of money we pumped into people's accounts um, was like, universal basic income light. Yeah. And that could have also had a bad effect of like D de- disincentizing work and career yeah. and things like this. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, I'd love if someone could more conclusively point, put their finger on the cause, or it could just be, they all are causes. Yeah. You know? Um. All right. Shall we transition to rules to keep yourself safe?
1: Yeah. I, I would just want to, Proceed this by saying like, uh, these aren't foolproof. There's like a risk you're accepting. And this is like how to minimize the risk. And this isn't to say, you know, if you've been a victim of a
0: crime, it's your fault or, you know, whatever, but. Right. Um, and, but these are the rules we give our own missionaries. mm -hmm. Um, the first idea is, uh, kind of, there's this like great naivety, if not this like ideological problem, particularly with the youth, uh, when they go to the inner city. Um, they have this idea that it would be better in order to have solidarity with the poor to walk everywhere, to ride the public transit, to do these things, right? Yeah. And when I've sat down with like groups of guys who literally are from the street, and I remember asking them a question for my own curiosity, I'm like, "When you guys see like suburban kids or kids that aren't from the streets or the inner city, what do you think are the main differences between them and you?" Mm-hmm. And they said two things. They said they usually have two parents involved in their life. They didn't say married. They just said involved. Mm -hmm. And he said, and we're lucky to have one parent who's really Mm -hmm. looking out for us. Right. And the second thing they said was, um, they think they can walk anywhere. (laughs) The poor themselves do not walk anywhere. Right. Like if you go to inner cities, like, um, LA or whatever, and you'll see like the Crips and the bloods, it'll be like the Crips of 143rd street. You know, very hyper regional group. Yeah. You know, the, the guys we used to work with on Southern Avenue would not walk five blocks away because there's a different group of guys who run that area. Right. You know, and I also remember them talking about a group of um, high schoolers coming to volunteer near Southern Avenue. And they said that uh, two of the girls uh, broke away from the group and walked to the convenience store. And they were, they were looking at each other like, can you believe how stupid they are? Yeah. Right. And if these guys think that's stupid, it is stupid. Yeah. OK. Yeah. But I found over and over again, groups who think like. It's like part of not being racist or part of not, you know, they would walk all the time. I dealt with yeah. some friends of mine who were kind of religious missionaries of Protestant ilk and they would walk everywhere. And one day I'm hanging out with them. And they go, you know, people say the worst things to us while we walk, like just horribly racist things. Yeah. And I remember hearing that and I'm thinking, why are you walking? Like, yeah. like isn't that like, but it was like kind of like they were so ideologically set on it yeah. that even though they were meeting all this like bad stuff when they would go on walks it wouldn't correct their behavior. Yeah, it's know?
1: almost like these people are trying to help you.
0: <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> They're trying to scare you so you don't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And we do know plenty of people have been mugged and stuff yeah. while doing.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, once we had this car that was new to a simple house and the gas gauge like didn't light up when it was on empty. You just actually had to use the little arrow, which I didn't know and stupidly ran out of gas in Barry Farms. Um and I was giving like a Dominican friar a tour of Southeast because he was going to be doing ministry with us. And we ran out of gas in Barry Farms. Was he dressed
0: like a clans member?
1: He was dressed (laughs) In the Dominican, uh, (laughs) so this is so terrible. So (laughs) we walked to like the nearest house of people that we know, and it was like nine in the morning. Also, like it wasn't like you know afternoon things are getting dicey. And they lost it. They could not believe how stupid I was. Like, and they were laughing and laughing. And laughing, and it was like new person came in the room, and it was like listen to how stupid Laura is, you know. And they could not get over it. But then it was like, well, I guess like we have to go to the metro, and it was like it's not that far away. And they they were like, well, you're gonna wait here until you know so and so can come pick you up in his car and take you know um, right. Yeah.
0: So that's kind of the rules the poor live by, and if you're kind of. New to the area, you should play by their rules. It's almost yeah. disres they they kind of consider it disrespectful when you don't. They yeah. don't see it as wow, look at that brave person who's like yeah, breaking yeah. down inequality by doing this. Um related to this is the nine a.m. part and the daylight issue. Mm-hmm. Um you want to always be out in daylight, mm-hmm. you know, not at dusk, but full daylight. Yeah. And we highly encourage ministry during those hours. You have to have a real good reason to be out past those hours doing ministry. Yeah. Um,
1: And I I think there was in the like 2010s, there was a nice little peak in DC where it was, it was quite safe to walk around a lot of parts of the city at night, you know? (laughs) Um, And I, I don't think that's true the way it was at that time. uh, Now, Um, although there's probably still, you know, fine in some areas,
0: but. And even when it is daylight, the roughest areas are still not safe. And Mm -hmm. I was kind of, the very first ministry event some ever had was on Easter Sunday, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe the day before Easter Sunday. It was on Easter weekend. Yeah, it was
1: Saturday. It was Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And um, I got this out there to do that outreach as early as possible because I kind of knew that during the day, there's like a lot of like open air drug market activity happening. And Mm -hmm. I thought if we get there early enough, like nine in the morning, we'll beat it. Yeah. And we did not. It's when we rolled up, the open air drug market was fully in service. (laughs) And the longer I knew these guys, the more I knew that, uh, that's just true. Like these drug dealers don't sleep, you know? They are out, they are on call 24 7. Yeah, yeah. What's the, you know? it's
1: like there's no rest for the wicked, right? right. Isn't that like a. And yeah. part of the
0: reason why they want nice coats and stuff like that, like the North Face jackets or whatever, is because they're literally outside all days of the year standing on the corner. So yeah. they're, yeah. So anyway, know that daylight is better, but daylight's not something that keeps you inherently safe, you know?
1: Yeah. I've witnessed at least one shooting in broad
0: daylight. Like- Maybe I've more. seen yeah. that too. Yeah. yeah. Um I've seen a couple. So the other issue is short interactions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um this is interesting because I think a lot of us, you know, particularly men in high school have gotten themselves in situations where they maybe talk themselves out of a fight. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you're a religious person or I think Laura and I maybe are above average talkers. Right. And you start counting on that skill. Right. Maybe mm-hmm. in a family situation, you're used to de-escalation and things like this. Right. Or in high school, you remember talking yourself out of a bad situation. That is not the approach if you're getting mugged. Right. OK. Everything you do to elongate or negotiate that interaction is heightening the danger of that interaction because yeah. all that guy wants who's doing the crime Is for it to be over.
1: Yes. Right. No no one is comfortable in that situation. Yeah. There's
0: no. So you (laughs) are not de-escalating. You are escalating no matter how good a talker you are. Right. Right. Now, I'm sure somebody has talked themselves out of it somewhere. It was a bad idea. Okay. So what you want to do is just fully turn over everything you have as fast and efficiently as possible. Yeah. And you also want to come in kind of socially as a zero. Right. Or with God. You're either with God or you're a zero. And what I mean Mm -hmm. by that is a lot of the people killed in the inner cities are killed to show off for friends are killed for weird little grudges are killed for reasons that have nothing to do with logic. Yeah. You know? So the more, if you like act like you're a big guy or act like, Hey, I'm one of you or any of these things, it's hurting your situation. You just want to be like,
1: yeah. But so every second that you elongate it, the more nervous they get, um, which right. Right uh, nerves and trigger happy are like connected. Right. And
0: I also say, I want to be like either a Jesus freak or like, there's a saying that the young people call NPCs, non-player <laughs> yeah. characters. Like yeah, if yeah, you're in yeah. a video game, you're just like, not even a player. Right. I'm out of here. I'm just a nun yeah. zero. Yeah. Let's go. No, yeah. go ahead. You're just,
1: um, the other thing I remember people saying in our early days is like, you don't look up. You don't try to be like, um, oh, I'm going to get like identifying factors so I can call the police because they're they're watching you (laughs) and they're watching you watching them, you know, and you just unload. Don't don't even look up. Don't make eye contact or whatever. And uh, like the eye contact is like challenging, you know, it's challenging. And then there's this like, are you going to report me to the police um,
0: aspect? Yeah. All right. The next rule that we talked to our missionaries about and I'm pretty convicted of this rule too, by the way, all these rules are like 90% rules. Like it's kind of like you need to have these ideas in your head, kind of yeah. the same way you get drilled on like stop, drop and roll. Right. right. Like it's like, well, if you're standing next to a swimming pool, maybe don't stop, drop and roll, jump in the swimming pool. If you're on fire, Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> duh, you know, so like the fact that there are edge cases, of course. Right. But you kind of need to drill yourself on like the most common strategy so that, you're ready to react appropriately if it happens. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, I th- this is like something my husband does jujitsu. So talk about this, but it's like a, uh, a lot of people will take like a weekend self-defense class and he think this is like actually kind of bad. Cause you think you're good, but it's like for the self-defense to work, It's like, you have to practice it a lot of times and not in a weekend, but he says it's like, well, even if you can't practice it beyond that weekend, you have to like practice it in your head over and over to be ready to do that in the heightened moment, you know? And so I think some of this stuff is just like, you have to imagine doing it in your head so that you automatically do it, (laughs) you know? um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think this is like, you know, this, this is obvious, but (laughs) Even if you're a big guy, you know, and you're strong, that doesn't mean anything if there's a gun involved, you know, it's, so don't, don't get, um, so I, I don't know. I I think there's probably a hundred ways people could get cocky or have a false sense of comfort for whatever reason. And don't do that.
0: (laughs) Another issue is you never want to be a captive, Right. Mm -hmm. You don't ever put yourself in a situation where you become a captive. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting carjacked, you're resolving that situation right there. You can let them have the car. You can throw the keys. You can leave the keys in the ignition, but you are getting out. Right. If you're getting cornered or they want you to come with them somewhere, everything they're trying to do puts you in a worse situation. Yeah. Right. So Mm -hmm. you want to resolve the situation where it's happening and never become a captive. Yeah. You know.
1: Even if it means like doing something that seems very drastic, it's like the becoming a captive is so dangerous, you know?
0: Right. You You know, there was a strange thing many years ago in DC that happened where the mysteries of charity, one of them got kidnapped. She was putting out the wash and hanging it on a line. And in Southeast DC, she got like thrown into a van and kidnapped. Oh my god. And the kidnapping lasted only like um, an hour and a half, you know? And I don't think she was assaulted. Uh, besides getting thrown in the van, which is an assault. But it was just interesting. I remember riding in the car with some people and us hearing it over the radio. And uh <laughs> the people I was riding with were like, Those people are going to hell. <laughs> 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 but anyway. I don't remember this. But yeah. why did why was no, it? No, I don't never learned why. I mean, a lot the missionary charity who was abducted was Indian, you know, so it's not like it would have been an interesting, like cultural, like even trying to find out why it would have been kind of weird, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah. So mm-hmm. never become a captive. All right. The next point. Um, This is kind of related to being a good talker. Again, I call this point that like crazy is crazy. And yeah. so, you know, a real layman's definition of crazy would be they this person acts in a way that is not rational. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can be very good at homeless ministry. You can be very good at interrelating with people with mental illnesses. You can even have great relationships with them, right? What you need to not do is there's two major flaws here. One, you need to never feel totally safe in those situations Mm -hmm. because there is the day they will flip out on you, you know, and you also need to not, um, if someone's like emotions are not tied to reason, you don't want to buy a ticket to ride that roller coaster, right? Right. So meaning like when they tell you how you're the best friend and the best missionary who ever existed or the best person in their life, you need to not let that make you feel good. Right. Because if you do let that make you feel good, when they call you every racist name and start coming after you, you will feel terrible. And you're not going to be a good missionary to that person. You almost have to have this kind of like a little bit of a distance. You know, and not assume that they think like you. I remember we had a situation with someone who had this thing that like whenever I wasn't around, sometimes they would just like yell at one of our missionaries and like treat them terribly. And the missionary would come and say, you know, this happened. Right. And I'd be and I in the back of my mind, I was always like, I don't think you know how to relate to them. Mm -hmm. Like, I know, like what issues to stay away from. I know this, this, this. And then after a year, they did it to me. Yeah. You know, and then when they did it to me, I thought, oh, yeah, I might not. I'm still susceptible to this. I can't manage this person's irrationality. You know, it's just something to know. I think some of us who maybe are pretty good at that get a false confidence related to it. I I think that um, we have a bunch of little pointers related to this that aren't going to be good, useful for the audience, but are just kind of like, you know, like there's times when like there's a little old lady who's homeless and she's clearly mentally ill. We yeah. can do more with her than there's another friend of ours who's like six foot four and huge and mentally ill and homeless. We don't do as much with we can't take right, the same right. we can't do the same things for him we can do with the little old lady. But yeah. <laughs> um even though yeah. he's never acted out, we just know that there's the danger there and you need to always be conscious of that. Yeah. So um all right. Those were kind of the main pointers we give. We have a bunch of simple specific stuff that's probably not useful for people.
1: Um, well, did we talk about how, um, I mean, we talked about crazy is crazy, but, and not to, but I think another way that we like try to understand situations is like being like, oh, this was a crazy crime. What led them to do this? You know? <laughs> and right. like you said before, it's not, there's not a good reason often, you know, like, if they would have like at least stolen the car to sell the parts, like that would have been industrious of them, even though wrong, you know, but that's not, you know,
0: what's going on. Right. There's, there's something where I've heard a uh, psychiatrist say, don't assume they think like you, mm-hmm. you know, like it, you can meet people who, you know, lack empathy on certain things and maybe they're not like totally a sociopath, but like, they they just, like, they don't have the same empathy wiring you do, you know? So trying to appeal to those ideas are sometimes, like, completely at, at a loss.
1: Yeah, and maybe even just in general, young men <laughs> lack empathy <laughs> well, um, comparatively, but I don't know. I, to
0: me, the most striking thing about young men is they lack um, self-preservation. Yeah. Like, I think that um, I was listening to a wartime reporter talk, and he said, "I've never feel more in danger than when a fourteen year old boy walks around the corner." You know, he's like, "If if a guy with gray hair and a beard who looks like an Islamic fighter carrying an AK forty seven walks around the corner, I think this is a guy I can talk to." Okay, (laughs) but if a fourteen year old boy walks around the corner, I think, oh no. Yeah. yeah. And this is true. I mean, this is just kind of a known male issue. It's like why we send eighteen year olds off to war. It's because they don't have the same self preservation programming that forty year old men have.
1: Yeah. I think a thing that we've done in ministry is try to convince young men that they have something to live for. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so don't act like one of these fools that's got nothing to live for, you know. Um
0: Well I remember my dad um sat me down once time after I got in a fight in early high school. Mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't get in a lot of fights. No one had that reputation, but I got in a fight with somebody Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have gotten a fight with. Like, he had, like, prison tattoos. And my dad sat me down, and he goes, you don't want to fight anyone who has nothing to lose, who, like, has no future, you know? Yeah. That's a very worldly piece of advice, but i passed it on to some kids in the inner city. I'm like, look, dude, your life's gotten it together. You do not want to get in a conflict with that guy who has nothing going on, Yeah, you know? Um, but anyway, all right. Do you want to talk metapolitics? Metapolitics. (laughs) All right. Two political theories that I feel like we could kind of like blow up into, um, segments, but we kind of, I would love it if an audience member knew something about this and wanted to tell us how we're wrong or give us some ideas on this. Um, you know, first off just an update on the RFK thing. Isn't it interesting he's asking to become the candidate of the Libertarian Party? Mhm. Right and he's clearly not a libertarian, but it's just like there's this idea of like can he just get on the ballot? Yeah. You know, and then maybe that would make the real libertarian party way more relevant in mm-hmm. US politics. So, Yeah anything to add to that no you're a big RFK Jr fan I know there, I know right? I don't
1: want to use this as like an RFK Jr can- campaigning platform <laughs> I I guess I I thought I uh, an idea that I've been thinking to in reference to RFK but I think maybe you could think about it generally it's like you want to like um I feel like we're kind of in a situation where it's like when people are still talking about like the nuance of like specific like positions like, they don't all totally make sense. It, it, like, it doesn't make sense to weigh those because we have, like, a crisis of, like, our agencies are have been bought. You know, we have, like, a lot of censorship that, as American people, we have assumed, like,
0: we are free from. Uh, I kind of feel like RFK yeah. is kind of, like, taking the position that he has a plan to shore up the ship.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and some of like particular issues, it's like, you want to argue about these particular issues, but if your ship is sinking, like they don't, they don't make sense. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that's interesting whether you like RFK or not or whatever, but it's, it's like, are you paying attention to, to the sinking ship, you know,
0: <laughs> right? or kind of, uh, well, let's talk about the sinking ship metaphor a little bit. Cause this is yeah, what i we on a sinking ship. Clark. Well, the thing that bothers me about the seeking ship idea is I've started to wonder if a like, can cons- I, I think of it as like a conservative reform, but it's not really a conservative reform. It's more like, has there ever been a time in our current political system where we've stripped away anything or mm-hmm. pulled things back or given more liberty? Or is it always like if you come up with a plan to add a layer to our current system, to add a layer to the government, to add a, and it's something in addition, you can do that. You know, we can add the Great Society programs mm-hmm. or the New Deal or whatever. You can always add something to our current system, but there's no way to subtract something, right? You mean,
1: I'm like I think the Supreme Court is a subtractor, right? Yeah, but...
0: They're not really supposed to be like, you know, managing the country. They're just supposed to be telling right. you what, you know, is or isn't constitutional, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think of American history, I don't know of a time when we had like a great, like resetting in the sense of like a paring down, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and this is why I think Republicans are sometimes referred to as like, uh, liberals who do the speed limit, you know, they merely are there to slow down the adding of things, not actually to reform, you know? And when you see like Europe, there's been all these like, Protests for years now in France and in the Netherlands and in Germany and in England, and none of them actually come to hardly anything. You know, there's clearly energy there for some type of like reset or reform of some policies, Mm -hmm. but they don't change any policies, right? And I kind of wonder if that's just part of the system. You know, meaning like the system's not made for stripping away the system. It's almost like we have a computer program and we're always like uh, adding a layer of code, but there's no way to like reprogram the whole thing from scratch. You know,
1: and I, I think it's really hard to imagine when you add a layer and then that layer gets people used to doing things a certain way, maybe gets an industry around it. Maybe like, I don't know.
0: Well, I I remember there was an example given of like during World War Two, we had a um, council to set standard screw threads like we had to have a government council to decide like a standardization of nuts and bolts.
1: Oh, yeah. Right. Right.
0: Right. And then we just never got rid of it because we don't get rid of anything, you know. Well, um, my other thought was like the two major kind of like stripping away type reforms we've seen that have been like real sea changes Are, uh, you know, what Argentina is going through right now and El Salvador, Mm -hmm. you know, and they almost had to get to the system had to get so darn broken Mm -hmm. that it was it's not quite a revolution, but it's kind of a revolution, you know, Um, it wasn't a violent revolution, but it was still like it's almost like things have to get so shipwrecked before you can get that type of reform for this
1: nutty guy with a chainsaw. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm just kind of like throwing this out there. Like, please, people comment on this. Uh, this is what I fear is that the best you hope for is um, if you think things are kind of corrupt, it's just no new corrupt, you know?
1: Well, I, maybe another way of saying it is like imagining the price of the reform, you know, if like you really want reform, this kind of reform you're talking about, it's like, well, it means things getting well, really I think bad for a second, <laughs>
0: well, I think like conservative yeah. people like law and order typically, and they would like to have a good reform that's based on elections and based on passing of law and just like through the normal systems. Right. I just don't know that that's the way that type of reform happens. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like you want to reboot a computer. You can't do it by just closing a few programs. Right. You know, um, The other thing I'm wondering is we've talked about this phenomena that became kind of a joke that was like how often men think about the fall of Rome and the Roman empire. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think if you went back 10 years, they weren't thinking that way, (laughs) but there's something like subconsciously bothering us that America is the empire. It is the superpower that Rome was. We've had the Pax Americana, like the Pax Romana. Yeah. And now it's like, Something is coming to an end and we're not sure what. And we keep trying to mine the Roman idea to find an idea about it or a solution, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think because it's probably the only empire falling that the average American really has any sense of. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like we're force fitting our story into that story because it's the story we know. Like we don't know why the Chinese empire fell or the Mongolian empire fell or whatever. Uh, We just know why the Roman empire fell uh, or we think we do. Yeah. And so it has something to do with barbarians at the gate and it has something to do with a lack of moral integrity. Yeah, I think, I think like people that.
1: think, right, that decadence, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: So mm-hmm. whether or not you know more Roman history and whether or not you think that's true is not important. It's the point is that that's like a trope that we're putting on our current modern situation. Mm-hmm. And what I've been worried about is whether or not the correct model or more, uh, a scary fit model is the French Revolution. And what I mean by that is um, I think we're told that the French Revolution's like, oh, there's this unbelievable wealth at Versailles and everyone else is eating snails, Mm -hmm. you know, not because they love escargot, but because they're going hungry. Right. (laughs) But I think the true idea of the French Revolution is that it was actually the wealthiest country in Europe when it happened. Yeah. You know, and it was much more about a hatred of the elites who had probably hated the proletariat. You know, also a mutual hatred of the two and an abuse of one to the other that boiled up into this enormous problem that you could say, oh, it's all about the idea of like the French Revolution. Well, maybe it was about that idea. But by the time Napoleon was the solution, they didn't give a darn about that idea. And there's not a lot of years between the beginning of that revolution and Napoleon, Mm -hmm. you know. So I'm worried that we're almost like more in that type situation where we're super wealthy. But we have this like disconnect between these classes of people that's getting dangerous.
1: Yeah. When you say France was the wealthiest, you mean like the people were most stable or had like... I think I mean overall
0: GDP. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just don't think it's accurate to say that it was mass starvation in France when they erected guillotines. I think there was mass anger that erected Mm -hmm. the guillotines, not dirt floor poor.
1: Right. Hmm.
0: So anyway, I could be wrong on this. I feel like there's so, listeners yeah. here who have ideas. Please tell us what you think the right metaphor is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Okay. Uh, I kind of want to have. Did you ever? Uh, uh, we had Dr. Jonathan Reyes on. I almost mm-hmm. want to invite him back to comment on this. I'm curious what he would think because he seems to have thought a lot about the Enlightenment and how mm-hmm. all those changes happened. But yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Simpleton Podcast. <laughs> See you <laughs> later, Laura. Peace out, bye.